Hello, welcome to How to Be a VIP, a show about living as or with a visually impaired person. Presented by me, your host, Taylor Knockcut. This series aims to help you, our lovely listeners, see the world through our eyes. So let's talk. Hi there and welcome to episode five. I really hope you enjoyed episode four, Dining in the Dark. And this week we've got something a little bit different. So I mentioned in a former episode that I was going to have someone from Guide Dogs come on the show. And this week we have them, a wonderful guest called Sophie Miller. So when it comes to applying for a guide dog, there's a lot of stuff that goes in before you get your wonderful four-legged friend. And some people will know that Jilly is my first guide dog and I'm in my late 20s. So it took like a while for me to come to applying for a guide dog, to get the guide dog after the two-year wait and to make the decision that a guide dog was right for me because you don't always know if a guide dog is going to be suitable. You don't always know if you're going to qualify for a guide dog. So this interview is to shed a little bit of light on what goes into the process from applying to receiving your dog, but also to all the amazing services that guide dogs offer, which is a lot. It's not just the dogs that they, you know, are giving to vision impaired people. They offer so many other services, which we're going to touch on in this interview. So now over to the wonderful Sophie Miller from Guide Dogs. Hello, Sophie. It's so great to have you on How to Be a VIP. Hey, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me. No problem at all. Um, I'm so excited about this episode because um, for those who don't know, Sophie has literally been on my Guide Dog journey with me from literally the beginning um with me applying to actually doggy sitting my guide dog while I was in court (laughs) and Jilly had like the best time at yours (laughs) I loved having her she's so fun she's literally the the sassiest little thing but yeah it was amazing and it's actually crazy thinking back to like when you know I was doing all my cane training with you and talking about like getting a dog to, to now and like you know you've met her and it's just crazy how that journey from 2019 to now has just gone like insanely, insanely quick. Um, it's been so just, quick. That's yeah. it's been four years. So you first applied in 2019, and yeah, from I was a trainee at that point, and I've kind of yeah gone through this whole journey with you on my own guide dog's journey and your guide dog journey as well. So it feels really cool to now be in 2023 with you now having your dog and me all qualified and whatnot. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> Do you want to actually tell us actually a bit or tell the listeners about about your guide dog journey? So like how, first of all, like you got into wanting to work for guide dogs and then also mm-hmm. about like your role. Because I think quite often people just think of guide dogs as a charity that's, you know, just to do with the dogs. But obviously there's so many roles and so many different departments within guide dogs. So yeah, if you could explain your story for the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So my role is uh, I'm a vision rehabilitation specialist. Um, guide dogs, we love acronyms. So I'm, I'm a VRS. Um, <laughs> and yeah, basically it's been quite a journey to get into guide dogs. Um so I'll start from the beginning. My so the first my first word is the name of my dog, Meggie. So I always had an innate love for dogs and just never knew how to get into working with dogs. It didn't seem like anything that was ever possible. Um so I was going along through school and then when it got to sixth form, I was at a bit of a crossroads on which kind of route to go down. Um mm. so I decided to 
do lots of work experience in kind of dog sectors. So I think I did a day with a dog groomer. I did a day with um, a rescue centre. I did a day with the police dog section, which was so, so fascinating. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I discussed with the... Um, the guy who I was shadowing, I said, I'm not sure it's for me. And he said, how about guide dogs? We've just worked with guide dogs on some training protocols and you'd be great there. And I, he gave me a, a contact number. So then I came, I went to Leamington Spa for a few days and shadowed quite a, a range of different um, roles there. And that mm. it was like in that moment when I was like, ah, oh, this is it. I love how, <laughs> um, love how the dog dogs were empowering people to be independent and that's everything that I love and you know people just being unapologetically themselves and independent and so I thought this is for me um so it's from that that I then went to uni and I studied animal welfare and behavior and alongside worked at a dog rescue center which was kind of putting the theory and practical together and it was just yeah married really nicely together um and so yeah after uni I was really lucky I got straight into a um trainer role not at guide dogs actually it was at a different aduk charity who trained dogs for various different people um and i absolutely loved it i spent a few years there training and then um you know i just met a, a, such a range of people um with various disabilities and just loved seeing the kind of whole process from training the dogs and then seeing them in their partnerships um and it kind of made me more curious about working with people on the people side um, and so from there, I then worked in the local authority uh, for a year as a sensory impairment officer. Um, so that's basically um, for anyone who, who's not sure um, when someone maybe is first registered as sight impaired or severely sight impaired or perhaps they've self-referred or met an eye, cl eye clinic liaison officer, um, they get support from the local authority and it was my role to go out to um, visit and maybe see if someone could need help just explaining the benefits of registration with their eye condition or I could support training someone how to use a liquid level indicator which is one of the tiny BP vibratory things you put on the edge oh of yes that's featured <laughs> yeah. on one of the episodes the classic two oh, beeper <laughs> classic classic that first beep and the second crazy beep um, but yeah, so that's what I did. And I just absolutely loved it. And so then I kind of felt I had some really good dog experience and people experience. And so was, I was kind of constantly looking at the guide dog job board, um, you know, all the time, basically. And so then I saw uh, a role come up called a trainee um, vision rehabilitation specialist. And so that's that's when I applied. I got the job. I was so thrilled that from that first kind of being in touch with guide dogs uh doing the work experience I was now about to work for guide dogs um it just felt so exciting so I started in September 2019 and I did a two-year training course um alongside working at guide dogs I also went to university at Birmingham City Uni to do a um, rehabilitation um course and it was just mm -hmm. learning about how to teach people skills using their long cane about the various different equipment out there um we looked a lot about psychology and theories and risk assessment 
intense and you name it, we studied it. And it was, yeah, it was an intense couple of years, um, but so worth it. And then, yeah, I qualified. I was actually a, a pandemic student, so we had a real <laughs> bizarre time, but it brought us all closer. And yeah, I think um, there was quite a few guide dogs trainees on the course, as well as people from local authorities as well. Um, friendship and bond and groups that now now we're all qualified we can bounce ideas off each other the other day I was in a meeting and I think there was about six people from guide dogs in the meeting that I was on the training course with and we're like this is amazing it's like a reunion um because Aww. we have yeah we've got like so many different hubs um we've got like London Newcastle um Liverpool, uh, Manchester, Leeds, you know, we're all across the UK. So mm. a lot of the people on the course were from each of the hubs. So it's really nice to have that kind of network. Um, so, yeah, that kind of brings me to today um, in my job as a vision rehab specialist. And like you said, Taylor, there's so many different services out there. Um, you know, you applied for the guide dog service. Um, and I think that's what we're most well known for. But mm. yeah, we have... Um, we have quite a few other different services, um, which we could go, go into if you fancy. Yes, no, definitely. Because yeah. like, I think that's the, like, even when I applied for a guide dog, I hmm. didn't realise that, um, so before, like before I was obviously matched with Jilly, I worked mm-hmm. with you on getting really confident with my long cane. And even though I was a cane user, you know, I, I started using my cane since I was eight. So I've been using it now for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I even by having that refresher with you made such a difference because obviously when you get the dog you're going to be so focused on you know learning all the skills of like caring for the dog and learning the roots of the dog but by doing the training of you know all my roots to work with you it took out that extra level of concentration like as in I knew oh I've done this route with with my cane and it's only going to get better when I have the dog so it's kind of like the cane training with guide dogs definitely built my confidence with my cane so that I wasn't sort of scared of the cane and just relying on the dog. Now I kind of know that I have both options like really secure. And it also meant that when I had Jilly, I, you know, I knew really where I was going and I knew the area. And also like when I did the cane training with you, you would say to me, oh, I think when you'd get the dog, this might be the way you'd probably go because of the dog and things like that. Where Whereas maybe when I did the route with my cane before, there would have been things in the landscape that I wouldn't have necessarily noticed or mm-hmm. crossings that maybe I didn't spot that would be safer and all those kind of things. So it definitely, e- even in my journey in applying, there was just so many parts of the dog application that, that weren't to do with the dog that were so helpful. Oh, amazing. I always love to hear it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it. I think... Um, I think it's such a maybe people don't know so much about the process before applying for a dog because um, I think a lot of people that I speak to just conversationally um, feel like a guide dog if someone's not going out you can apply for a guide dog and then they will take you out and it's it's that mm-hmm. maybe education that it's so important to know your roots before applying and or kind of build upon your roots Um before applying kind of thing because like you said it's for times where you maybe not don't take Jilly somewhere so for example if someone's really loud or if it's a really hot day it means that you still have your cane skills so that you can go out and navigate and it's not going to hold you back that you just have guide dog mobility so it's amazing that you've got both 
um, I think, like you said, learning your playing skills and improving your confidence and really like knowing your your current routes that you did back to back. Back. Um, mm. it just sets you up for that guide dog training because there is so much to learn isn't there when you're on class and all the different foot positions and when to reward and and cues so I think be already being familiar in your environment and kind of recognizing it might be that you recognize like a, a pavement change underfoot that you can still feel when you have your dog and it just reinforces that you know where you are on your route um, so, 100%. Yeah. I remember that. I remember you said that to me. Like I hadn't even necessarily, like I'd been just going through the world with my cane and I'd obviously pick up on some things in the surroundings, but kind of having that that voice, that guidance from you going, oh, like, have you noticed anything in the surroundings, any texture texture changes? And oh yeah, I think mm. we, me and you discovered that I loved Converse, didn't we? That I just kind of, oh, like, yes. I love my Converse. The other day I took Julie out in a pair of like big chunky boots and, right. and I literally got to... Um, like tactiles and I knew where the tactiles were and obviously Jilly knew where they were and I got uh-huh. there and I was like oh god like I can't feel the tactiles in these boots and I hadn't until I did the cane training review I didn't really zoom in on my footwear as much and literally yeah, I was like sure. right I can only wear these boots on a route I know really well because if it's a new location I need my feet <laughs> yeah I need my feet I need my feet and I remember when you bought some really nice converse as well when you realized that that was what that was like what you found best um, yes <laughs> you got that really nice pair um and I think of that quite a bit actually it's I think that's the fun bit about being a VRS is you pick up so conversationally you and I picked that up that you know we discovered that converse were your um best mate in terms of finding things on the ground and so mm. I've actually used that Taylor with other people when oh. I remember being someone who was wearing Doc Martens I was like you look cool um but can you feel anything underfoot and they were like no but I just know I look cool and so yeah, yeah. from there you were kind of thinking about different type of shoes and then I said I, kn- I know someone who really gets on with kind of more softer footwear like Converse or you know canvas um mm. so yeah it's, it's fun being able to give bits of information that have come from people I've worked with it's it's not just like me training you it's just teamwork isn't it like we kind of just yeah. always found stuff together um but yeah I suppose, yeah I, I suppose in terms of like the other services so like yeah we're so well known for our guide dog service um but yeah we can do um like support with mobility um if it's kind of the right time we'll often kind of work with local authorities they often provide our long cane training um but we can sometimes if we've got enough um capacity or if it's the right time we can hop in and do some bits and bobs um independent living skills we're getting a bit more up and running on being able to work with people in the home um we also have like a variety of different services such as got a family and friends service um so it's family and friends sighted guiding uh, and that's where people um can learn how well, their family and friends can feel more confident in guiding skills. Um, mm. I think sometimes, yeah, if you've got a family, I don't know about you, um, Taylor, like with you and your sister, I remember seeing your video, but um, if you've just got into a bit of a groove with guiding, if you have your own way or if you've ever had training, I don't know. Yeah, my parents had training. They did right. the blindfolded thing um, mm. where they went out um, with like local authority and like did escalators and things like that. And um, and um I remember my dad was like found it really he really was like oh this feels so strange like yeah he found it really overwhelming um and like my mum as well like yes she well she said same thing but like yes she um 
you know, she, she probably was the one that guided me like the most. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister, I love her dearly, but is like, has zero spatial awareness. So she was always, I always <laughs> said to her, like, you're such a bad guide. And she's like, I'm not, it's because she's so focused on everything else going on. But um, yeah, it's quite funny. But she, um, I'm actually going to do an episode with her where I blindfold her and in like a safe outdoor space, I'm going to guide her just, oh, for, wow. just for fun. <laughs> Yeah, oh, make but, sure um, you film it. That'd be so good to watch. Literally. Because she was like, oh God, are you sure? It's like payback for all of the all the years. Um, but no, but, and I have had friends. It's, it is quite funny because I think with all my school friends, I did teach them. Like, I would say like, oh, let me take your arm. And and um, mm-hmm. and quite often like people do do like would do stuff like, oh, would say step and things. But then eventually, yeah, if you get into a groove, if they, you know, if they guide you correctly, you will feel it as they move slightly ahead of you and things like that. So you know, certain yeah. friends would pick up on it more. Um, but, you know, I've had the classic things where friends go, oh, this way, this way. And they go, and now this way. And I'd still go the same way they were saying and walk into a wall or something. But like, oh, no. <laughs> all part <laughs> of being yeah. like teenagers. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it. And like, oh, there's um, something coming up. It's like, what? Tell me what it is. Where is it? How far away? Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's it. I think. And sometimes people kind of link arms and it's it's all a personal preference. But yeah, with our sighted guided team, they kind of just, yeah, they do the exact same. They We will put like some maybe simulation specs on to kind of represent a certain visual impairment or eye condition and mm. show guiding skills or just kind of demonstrate what real life situations look like when you have a visual impairment and how it can impact you. So that family and friends are a little, just a bit more cautious or a bit more aware of what support they need to give. Um mm. You know, so like, for example, like when passing someone an item rather than like, here you go. And you just being like, what, what and where? Just being like, hey, um, I'll pass this to you now. And, you know, just kind of giving that bit more information, but making sure it's concise and not being like, I'm going to pass you this item. It's small and round, you know, overloading. Yeah. It's, it's that balance, isn't it? A hundred percent. Actually, that makes so much sense. Because like, I, now you've said that, I'm just like going back to when you passed me those Marks and Spencer's Millionaires bites and you were like, I'm passing them forward now into your right hand. And I literally, yeah, like you said yeah. that, I'm like zooming in like in my brain, like, oh my gosh, yes, Sophie is amazing at that. <laughs> oh, thank you. And that's one of the, yeah, that's one of the things um, that I think you just learn the more people you work with or or come across, like how, you know, let's just take any question marks out and just be concise and be like, hey, here is the thing and this is where it's located you know just to kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. just to support you or, or anyone else that has um, a visual impairment but um yeah I'm trying to think of the other services we have we've got um buddy dogs which is yes. we like to use it guide dogs that are having a career change so it's <laughs> it's guide dogs that might not have passed their guiding training uh, for a number of reasons it could be that they have high distractions or could be that they um I don't know there's all sorts of different reasons but yeah if they're not enjoying their work or if there's a reason for them behaviorally to to not go forward as a guide dog we then um assess them for our buddy dog scheme and that's it's lovely actually it's for children um with visual impairments just so that a child can maybe get used to living with a dog um you know the general kind of care of a dog feeding, grooming, walking, you know, getting to the routine so that should they want to apply for a guide dog when they're a bit older or, or when they can manage, then it's not just like all at once. Um, so yeah, they have kind of foundations there. Um, so yeah, and it's really nice for like positive well-being as well. So that's the guide dog, um, buddy dog scheme, which is really, really nice. 
Um, Thank you. I love looking at like on the guide dog Instagram. They sometimes like post all the buddy dogs and it's just the cutest thing. Like seeing them with children. It's like, oh. Yeah, it's so lovely. Do you think you'd have had one growing up? Yeah, that's the thing. I think like I definitely would have. Like if I, Mm. that maybe had been, I think with my parents, we always assumed that I wouldn't be entitled to a guide dog because I had some residual like sight Mm -hmm. so as somebody I can't remember who I think maybe someone sort of like mistold that to my family about Mm -hmm. me saying like oh I don't think she'd be able to because the guy you know she done trained the dog by trying to lead the dog and I definitely noticed that in my guide dog training with Jilly the only time that I had a near collision with a lamppost Mm -hmm. was the one time that I wasn't paying, I was set, I knew the post was coming up mm-hmm. and I was sort of distracted by the fact I knew it was coming, that I wasn't paying attention to what Jilly was doing. And I remember right. like Barry the trainer sort of obviously stopped me bashing into it and went, I could tell you were second guessing the dog or like, or like too busy thinking something's about to happen. You've got to trust mm-hmm. the dog. And that That's was when it. during the day when I had, my vision was at its best, I guess. So I was kind of using a bit of my vision so I sort of get the point a little bit but I definitely have a not enough vision that I would need a guide dog if you see what I mean but it definitely you know that's why I guess you guys do the assessment to make sure people like when, when you came out with Gail and you did mm-hmm. the assessment with me which was the rainiest day we got in the pouring the, rain <laughs> oh my god I think it was it was so rainy and I remember being really upset afterwards I think I said to you like oh god that's when my sight's at its worst and you went yeah but that's great because we need to know that. And I was like, oh yeah, that's actually a point. <laughs> we need to know. Yeah, we love to hear about like your best days and your worst days so we can just get that like full picture rather than just like seeing you whiz through on your best day and being like, oh, Taylor's nailing it. Um, yeah. But yeah, also seeing it on that, on that rainy day and just having, yeah, that full picture. But I do remember being absolutely soaked. We all were, weren't we? Yeah, literally. And I remember like the first week I qualified with Jilly, um, it absolutely tips down and it was like the same level as that rainy day and we had like a long like 45 minute walk home in the rain and I remember like walking with her thinking like god this is like how it was when I was doing that guide dog like you know interview assessment and Mm. like I'm whizzing home as if it's not raining like I couldn't get over the difference which was just like incredible but I know for some people like like you know guide dogs aren't suitable for them and not just from a sight perspective like from you know they may find that they actually don't like the sensation of being guided by a dog or mm. they just may find it doesn't sort of suit their lifestyle so like what do you think are the benefits of like having a dog and having a cane like how are both you know important yeah, totally it's such a good question and I think this is the one people like ponder quite a lot when um when they're thinking about applying or whether it's right for them or not and it's we have so many conversations about this with people kind of independently so if anyone listening was going to apply it's a conversation that would have with anyone and kind of listen to concerns and just kind of chat chat through it with them um Mm. in terms of so I am non-biased, even though I teach the long cane. Um, so <laughs> benefits of the long cane is that you can use the cane um, as and when and then fold it up and pop it in your pocket and not think about it until you're kind of getting going. So, for example, you could use the long cane to get to work, fold it up, pop it in your bag, um, do your work and then, you know, get the cane out and go 
go for after work drinks, you know, go out, go go mm. wherever and then use the cone home. I think with the dog, there's a lot more involved in terms of keeping to routines, so feeding times, spending. Um, there's sometimes dogs can either make people a bit faster walking um because people have been used to kind of especially in london the london pace you know busy Mm. fast um (laughs) walk and get there quick kind of thing um so and it can be a little bit slower with the cane because you're kind of finding obstacles you're using the long cane is locating obstacles so that you can find out where you are in your environment because you've got those landmarks um whereas using the dog is different mobility because the dog works on avoiding obstacles and guiding you around them so you can sometimes miss those those landmarks and important pieces but you have a different sense of mobility because you're more fluid um and yeah the dog will stop at curbs and you just learn how to kind of grid pattern your your roots um Mm. On the other hand, the dog can slow you down sometimes if you're so used to kind of certain roads and crossing them quickly with your cane because we do ask our dogs to stop at each curb um, or driveway, kind of not driveway, for example, but like um, a significant crossing where vehicles might come in, come in and out um, just to keep a person safe. And so even if with the long cane you're used to that there's no traffic on these parts or it's you know significant when there are cars so you can stop with the dog we'd need to would need for you to stop each time so that is another kind of part that would you'd need to consider as a person you know looking what your roots are like and would a dog slow you down would a dog speed you up um yeah and likewise with the cane i think also it's just thinking a little bit about it's a lifestyle having a guide dog it's yeah. thinking about yeah like you know what is your workplace like what is what are you all like if you like going to gigs every night or loud places then it's considering where would you where would a safe place for the dog to be at that time um if the environment's not appropriate is there someone that can look after the dog is there a green room um is there a safe space and this is this is all things that can be spoken through um with our guide dog team if someone that was wanting to apply wasn't sure about um, whereas with the long cane you could still you know you could take the long cane to those environments and the cane doesn't mind <laughs> so yeah. yeah it's it's just a lifestyle summary isn't it um but what have you found i suppose with the the, the difference between the long cane and the guide dog yeah i definitely think i mean yeah, the long cane definitely has the benefits of like, it's ridiculously flexible and any environment, like it works in that sense. I think, mm. yeah, for me, like I fa- find that obviously the guide dog suits me a lot better because, yeah, like I said, I walk a lot faster with the guide dog and I feel a lot safer as like sort of in a sort of protection way as well like a sort of like the company of the dog um I don't feel Mm. like as vulnerable I I don't know why it just it makes me feel like almost like I have someone there with me and I think someone's described it to me before as like teamwork when it's you and a guide dog like you kind of team whereas with the cane sometimes it's well it's all on you to to figure out what the cane's picking up isn't it so I suppose that's kind of what you mean perhaps yeah 100 percent in like the sense that you know sometimes I think, yeah, with the cane, I I would be like, oh, is is this the right way? Or, or like, especially because my vision would go a lot worse at night. I'd go from having some residual vision where the cane was kind of useful. But when I couldn't see anything, I know there are people that are cane users who have no vision at all or a lot less than me. Um, but for me, it, I found that really sort of overwhelming and quite disorientating. I would definitely walk a lot, a lot slower 
And so I just felt that the other dog could just give me, no matter what the environment was, my pace would stay the same. So I just felt right. like I, I was more consistent, um, I guess would be the way I describe it with the dog. But then every now and again, I do, I still keep my cane skills up. And like, if for example, I want to really quickly pop out for something and it's bright and it's daytime, rather than getting the harness, getting all the treats, like if it's literally just going to the corner shop and back, it's just so I can get there in, and back in the time sometimes that it would take to say, like, make sure the dog's gone to the toilet before we go. Or there's a few things like that, that sometimes it is just really quick to just get grab the cane and pop out and grab something. Yeah, so that's such like a that. good, yeah, such a good example. Um, you're kind of just nipping out to the cane. And obviously I love to hear that cane skills are being kept up. Go on, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because especially when you're in between, I spoke to guide dog users and they say when you're sometimes, if you don't have, um, you know, that you don't have a crossover with the dogs, you know, your dog retires and you're waiting for your next dog. You don't want it mm -hmm. to feel like an awful step back. You know, you want it to feel like, oh, I can still, you know, you're not going to go into hibernation for say six months. You want to still be able to do all the things you do. It may, obviously may feel strange not having the dog, but like... That you know, you still need to be active in the time that you're waiting for your next dog and things like that. And everyone's told me the same yeah. thing. So I was like, okay, I need to make sure I don't lose the confidence with the cane. Yeah, that's it. I think, I think actually that's a lot of my work is going out and visiting people whose dogs are maybe pending retirement or coming up to retirement, or perhaps they've had to retire really quickly for, for whatever reason. And mm. so it's, yeah, I mean, guide dogs can support in that way. We, tend to visit people or at least speak to people um, six months before a guide dog retires to start thinking about reapplications and if it's suitable, appropriate, if that's what someone wants to do. And at that yeah. point, you know, I can come out and start doing some cane training to prep a person for their dog retiring. Just so that, like you say, it's not, it's not like the person needs to totally go into hibernation or is underconfident with their cane. It's still, you know, learning something new or refreshing. Um, something that you might not have used consistently for a while but at least yeah it's nice that we can we can come out and, and support people in that way and yeah kind of refresh long cane training so it's not a huge change I mean it's always going to be a change when uh, when someone's mm -hmm. guide dog retires and you know you might be on that waiting list for a while and it might be quite anxiety inducing or stressful like with the unknown amount of time it'll be before the next dog comes along but at least if people can continue living their life and doing the routes that they do and you know, yeah, still having that independence and that's brilliant. Definitely. Amazing, Sophie. We've covered so much, like absolutely everything from like our journey to everything Guide Dogs offers. And yeah, literally, I don't think we've left any any bit unspoken, any stone unturned. <laughs> <laughs> no stones unturned here. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, amazing. So the last little bit then of the, the show is called VIP Treatment. So this bit is... Um, where people can shed a little bit of light on a story or an experience that they've either seen happen to a vision impaired person or, you know, have heard from a vision impaired person. Um, it's like a negative one. So like, for example, um, on episode two, we had um, Emily Davidson talk about um, her guide dog, Rosie, and people's trying to get past Rosie on the escalators. Um, and I've mentioned before, um, on episode one about when people say how many fingers am I holding up and things like that and it's basically a situation that's negative but what could people do instead of that or how could they 
you know, handle it with a lot more care, basically? Yes, I love this question. Amazing. So I think the, um, the, the thing that springs to my mind the quickest is, and I'll give a bit of an example for context for anyone listening, but um, I was, and I've seen this a few times, but this is a specific example I'll give. Um, but I was once training someone, I'm going to call them Sarah just for ease. I was once training someone um, with their long cane and, you know, we'd done quite a few sessions and it was time for me to start, you know, we start training someone quite close up. And then as the VRS, we move further and further back to create more of like an independent real life situation to just build confidence, really. So Mm -hmm. I was doing my thing, stood quite far back, um, wearing my uniform. So it was quite clear um, that, you know, some kind of training was happening. And I was watching Sarah across the road. Um, so she'd done everything perfectly, lined herself up really nicely, was using the spinning cone under the um, weight boxes. And when she got halfway across the road, um, when it was green, of course, and safe to cross, she was doing Brill, a member of the public stopped her, grabbed her and asked if she needed asked if she needed help. Mm. So at this point, she said, no, I'm fine. Thank you. And carried on. However, where the person had grabbed her, they'd taken her off a line of travel so instead of going straight ahead she was kind of going on a bit of a left now where the person had stopped and grabbed her and so it just kind of messed up the rest of her route that she knew really well because Mm. this person had taken off her line and so yeah she ended up kind of walking towards you know just in the wrong direction basically um and this is always a difficult one because you're always so grateful of for members of the public showing support and seeing if someone needs um needs help but i think there's a specific way to go about it um so what i'd hope for people listening or anyone in the future i'd love for, uh, for us to be in a world where if um you saw someone with their long cane or guide dog needing some support rather than to kind of touch them to kind of just approach and be like hey um are you okay do you want to take my arm and then at that point, the the guide owner or the long cane uh, user could say, I'm OK, I'm good, thanks, I've got this. Or, yes, please, um, which side are you? And, or, you know, can you come on my left side? Can you come on my right side? Just mm-hmm. so that it gives, yeah, it gives that person that element of control. You know, you don't, no one wants to just be, be grabbed. Um, mm-hmm. But it gives, it's just a nicer interaction of someone offering the help. It might be that no, I'm good, thank you, but thanks anyway. And You know, carry on with your long cane or guide dog, um, doing your route. But yeah, I think it's just, it's nice to to ask if someone needs a bit of support, especially if they look like there may be a bit, there's some obstacles in the way or something in the environment's changed that someone's trying to figure out. But there's definitely a way to go around it and it's it's not to take pers- someone off their travel. A hundred percent. I've had that with, um, with Jilly. And it's funny because I've had it a lot more with her than with my cane, which is really no strange because really? you'd think that people would go, the dog is like the most sure. But I, I wonder if sometimes like people do it because they obviously want to be a bit closer to the dog. But like <laughs> yeah. the, the classic one I had that I think was like the worst was this guy. And I, again, it was just so... It, it was a crossing again. So I like, I got to the curb with Jilly and we were still quite newly matched. And um, so I was saying to her, like, find the curb. And mm-hmm. which is obviously like the command to get her to find it. But she knows where it is, but you have to say it so in, you have to say it to her. But in, I think this person's head, they must have been like, the dog doesn't know where it is. She's telling her to find it. Like, so I think they thought that Jilly I... had no idea. So mm-hmm. while she was finding it and I, I had, um, something I think I had maybe I had something in my right hand or I had my 
right hand about to go in the treat pouch to sort of be like, because she was getting to the curb or something. So mm. they went round to the arm that was holding Jilly and kind of yanked me and her towards the curb. No ways. And I was like, oh, oh my God. And, and he went, it's over here, like the curb. And I went, oh yeah, no, I know she knows where it is. Um, and, but I was so like shocked. And um, he, let, yeah. he let go thankfully and um and I said um no we're all good thank you like I, you know I'm I'm just training her she's she's my guide dog and um that's me getting her to find it and he went oh okay and then as we went to cross the road and I said forward again like Jilly stepped off and he then grabbed the handle and me and her again and sort of did no the way. journey with us and so we got to the island in the middle and I went to him look I really appreciate you're trying to be nice but by doing this you're throwing her she was sort of pushing into me like get him away like she weren't liking it yeah and you know and I just said I really get you're trying to be nice but it's actually more distracting for her and me by mm. you doing this um and if, like, by you. that point yeah by that point he literally was like oh okay and then sort of walked across the road and then I went to her like forward and he just stood on the other side and went, keep coming. Keep <laughs> oh my gosh. I I'm can not just... going to touch you, but I'm just going to shout instead. <laughs> yes. I can totally imagine the whole scenario. I think it's an interesting one because um, I do think from what people have said, like having a guide dog takes away a bit of like, people find it a lot easier to come up to someone with a guide dog rather than a long cane because the guide dog is mm. the start of conversation. Yeah. So I suppose that's maybe why you're experiencing it a little bit more. But um, but yeah, I think it's it's also such like an emotional roller coaster because you're kind of like, I'm grateful they want to help me, but they're not doing it in the right way. And how do I say it? I don't want to get them to not help people in the future. So it gives you kind of that whole like, ah, what's best to do here? Yeah. And that's the thing. You want to kind of like get through the situation as safely as possible, but then also educate them yeah exactly in a way that's like doesn't scare them from doing it again or like I had like a really sweet um gentleman the other day who it was like there was roadworks and um and again like I think quite a lot of people don't necessarily know that dogs are trained to go around roadworks so I was with Jilly and she saw the roadworks and she instinctively you know went to go around them and he was working on the roadworks and he was like oh like and stopped what he was doing and came and was like are you okay like would you like um some assistance and um and I was like oh yeah no she she's good she knows like her way around it and he said I'd feel a little bit better if I walked along with you like I think he for his own sake he was sort of thinking like in case something happened he didn't like, want me because we were going to have to go into the road and back onto the pavement and yeah. um, he walked like alongside and and again there was no sort of he didn't go to grab her arm or anything and he went follow me and then he went oh god sorry and I went no that's fine like again I think he thought oh he thought he's being rude or something I was like no no it's fine and I was going to Julie follow follow the lovely gentleman and like no. Julie was like following along like this guy with a tail up in the air all happy and um oh I can imagine but, yeah but he said he was like I just made it made me feel better knowing that it, I think he just didn't want to see me and Julie go in the road because I think he was panicking even though she was fine totally but, um, yeah yeah. And again, bless him. Like when he was like, oh, I said, follow. I'm so sorry. Like people panic that they use the wrong terminology, you know, like follow me or like, oh, it's this way or, you know, but I think opening that conversation. Oh, that's my fire alarm. <laughs> oh, 
there were no fires, just um, some pork cooking. <laughs> I'm really standing up going, what is that noise? Um, but yeah, as I was saying, I think, you know, having educating people on the correct sort of terminology and, you know, people do get flustered by saying things like um, see here or look at this or because it is just a general phrase that I think um, people panic that they're insulting you by by using that terminology. And I think it's just, yeah, finding a balance of making them feel comfortable and sort of educating them uh, so that if they're encounter, like, you know, encounter a vision pair person yeah. again, they know what to do. That's it. I honestly, I think that's such a, such um, a key point. It reminds me, I was uh, training someone not so long back and he was walking to a crossing. So we were trying to find a weight box and he found it. And this man turned around and he went, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't see you there. Oh, no. Wait. Like, you know, and got like tripped over <laughs> the language. And the person I was training, his sense of humor is brilliant. And he went, no worries. I didn't see you either. And it's just like, that just broke that ice then. And they were actually chatting for quite a while um, after mm. that. And it was just lovely because it's like, it's conversational. It's making that person not feel uncomfortable. And yeah, just making making it all kind of, yeah, friendly. 100%. I do think every vision per person I've encountered has got like quite a dark sense of humour. Like mm. I- I've had that a lot where people yeah get themselves in like a massive like muddle with things and I, I'll again like crack the crack the same joke like I had it once where someone um said um I'm like oh my god um I've um what they oh they said they were like oh your your blind dog is really um is really cute and I've heard people say blind dog before and I went oh god I hope she's not blind <laughs> amazing and they were like what and I went oh it's a guide dog and they went what did I call it I went a blind dog and they went oh my god I'm so sorry <laughs> oh yeah it is it's just you recognizing it and just making light of of what they've said isn't it so that they don't feel silly themselves exactly but yeah no definitely oh Sophie this has been so much fun honestly so so good like yeah, catching really up on it. like our journey as well like from start to finish and um also like there's just so much for the listeners now to unpack and understand um, about all the amazing work that you and the team at Guide Dogs do. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And also thank you for, um, yeah, being fabulous and um, all the help you've given me and many other people to come. Oh, thank you so much. No, it's been so fun chatting, catching up. And um, no, working together was fun. Like I said earlier, it was just always teamwork and um, makes it easier when there's it's lots of fun as well. So thank you. Amazing. Brilliant back to the studio huge thank you to sophie for that interview we unpacked a lot there including uh, my fire alarm going off <laughs> just for comedic value um but wonderful so before we wrap up the show we've come to taylor's top tip and this one actually uh, re- includes um dogs guide dogs and other dogs so i've had it a few times when i'm walking jilly that we come across another dog Um, who isn't a guide dog and if you are a dog owner and you are approaching someone with a guide dog this top tip is for you if you see someone with a guide dog the dog is normally trained to ignore other dogs uh, especially if they're on their harness and they're in work mode they should ignore your dog but obviously your dog might be very excited um, to see another four-legged friend and might want to say hello so the key thing to do there's a couple of options. You can either cross the road if you think that would be the easiest option, but that isn't always available. 
Uh, another thing is you can put the dog on the opposite side. So if I had Jilly on my left and I was approaching you, you would put your dog on your left so that me and you are causing a barrier between the two dogs and keep your dog on a short lead. It just avoids the dogs, you know, coming head on towards each other. Again, if it was in the park, it's a completely different environment. But if the guide dog is approaching you and they're taking a vision impaired person to work or to wherever they need to go, having the dogs not interact will just make their trip a lot simpler because sometimes the dog can get a little overwhelmed and the person will have to stop and, you know, give the dog a treat and refocus the dog. So it just avoids all of that. So that's the end of episode five. Thank you for listening. Hope you've learned a lot about what guide dogs do. And remember, they're a wonderful charity. All donations are welcome to guide dogs. It really makes a huge difference. So thank you for listening and looking forward to seeing you all in episode six. Thanks for listening. To make sure you never miss a future episode, give me a follow, Taylor Notcut on Instagram. If you're listening to this as a podcast, make sure to like, review and subscribe as it helps other people find the show. Much love and see you next time.